The following is recorded from Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Pastor Matt. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad you're here. I'd love to meet you after this service, but if you could do like Ryan said and fill out one of those guest cards. We'd love to get some information in your hands so you can make a decision about a church home. There's a lot of great churches in the area, and we'd love for you to be where God has called you and wired you to be. And we, we're selfish. We're biased. We want you at the creek, but um, I'm just saying, you know, we want to help you. In November, we launched a series called Foundations, which really launched our church into a spiritual journey, a uh, spiritual process about the future uh, of the vision of the church. And I want to give you an update. We've set aside the first weekend of every month to give you a Foundations update. Foundations is the campaign we launched to start uh, setting foundations for the vision of the future of the church. And uh, I told our team, if we look at this as a financial process, we're in trouble. Um, it has to be a spiritual process. I want us to be more in love with Jesus through this process. If not, it's a failure, in my opinion. Um, anything we do should help us to be more in love with Jesus. But I want to give you an update of those commitments. This will be kind of a financial update. There will be a whole lot more coming. Uh, trust me. But through the campaign, the commitments as of now <clears throat> are $355,276. That's incredible. I mean, thank you. That's awesome. And then here's what's cool. To date, and I had trouble saying this, so bear with me in the first service. It's To date, that's come in as $163,029.28. That's what's come in. And so I told you that if you were here during that series, I told you whatever God does is going to be enough. We're not going to pressure. We're not going to try to get ahead of God, and it's going to be enough. Let me tell you what that's going to allow us to do as a church. In the first quarter of 2013, uh, we're going to be working on an offer on some property. And here's why I say offer on property. God has called us as the creek to be in this location. I know a lot of times people get worried, and some of you who are new to the creek have said, Hey, I know you meet here, but are you going to be moving somewhere else? Um, eventually, we will be moving, but I can tell you this. God's called us to this area, and so we are looking within a mile to a mile and a half of this location. So if you've driven around a mile to a mile and a half of this location, you know there's not many options out there. makes it hard from a human perspective, but with God, all things are possible. Um, so there are two options, or buy it or build it. So we're looking at some properties and I hope in the next month or two we'll be able to do some video updates and we'll tell you where that's at so you can walk around it seven times, you know, pray over it, shout, let the fence fall down, we'll go in and occupy the territory. We'll probably have to write them a check too. But, um, <laughs> but um, I, I said that this is a, a, a spiritual process. And let me share with you the, the real win of 2012. Uh, 55 people in 2012 made a decision for Christ. Uh, 55 people made a decision for Christ. So, um, we, we baptized 19 of them. Um, and we do, if you've been to our baptisms, we, we're, we're at the mercy of the weather. Um, we're not going to challenge God on that. Um, we had to cancel one because of a lightning storm. It's like, I know you're saved, but you probably don't want to go meet him today, do you? Um, <laughs> I wasn't quite ready. God has blessed us. Lives are being changed. Our mission is to glorify God through lives changed by the gospel, period period. And that's happening. And it's not because I'm that great. It's because you, you've fallen in love with Jesus and you're sharing that with other people. And that's the way it's supposed to be. 
Um, and so those are some, some great things. From a financial perspective, we've given over $40,000 away in 2012. That doesn't include the support we give to schools. That's our, as a church, we tithe. That's our tithes and offerings that we've put into the community. Um, and then we support schools, some schools financially, because I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's right that kids show up to school and don't have the right shoes to be at school. So we give the counselors some gift cards. That's how we can get it done under the table, and they can go buy shoes. They can go buy coats. They can go get kids what they need to get a good education. So we give that. Uh, you took care of 130 uh, kids at Christmas time, 130 families, and so that's, that's great. Uh, we also go outside of our community. We have missionaries in Toronto who are doing amazing things with the college students up there. We have a family that is on furlough from Brazil. They're taking a little detour through brain cancer right now, but his scans are coming back great, and he's ready to get back on the mission field, and I'm praying that God puts him back there as soon as possible. It takes over 80 people to serve at the creek, to do what you see happen every week. Um, I'll say, let me, let me rephrase that. We have over 80 people serving right now. Uh, the need is probably between 130 and 140. Um, to make ministry happen at the level of excellence I'd like to see that with our setup team, kids ministry, all that. So, um, And then for this year, I've already been in touch with a friend of mine, known him back in the youth ministry days. Um, that's kind of like the war for us guys, you know, back in youth ministry days. See, Trinity's in the war right now. He's in the trenches. But we were, <laughs> we were great friends. He called me and said he's moving from Austin up to the Metroplex to launch a church this year. And first thing out of my mouth, I don't have to pray about this. It's like, we got your back. And so uh, we're going to be talking as an elder team and everything about how to financially support a church plant um, in 2013 um, with helping them with some funding because that was a big stress for us when we launched. But I'll tell you, God's enough. I mean, so I told him, I said, don't worry about it. He's going through that freak out that I went through three years ago on launching a church. And now I can be like, <laughs> you need some faith, brother. <laughs> it's easy on that side. Um, so, but one of the things that we did when we launched the church from a teaching perspective is what we're going back into today that I love. And in the DNA of the creek, we love to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible. Uh, we took a detour to do our foundation series, um, and then we did some things, got us through Christmas, and I have been so anxious for this day. I, I mean, tell you, this is, this is Christmas day for me. Um, we get to launch into the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. We're called the series Ignite because the book of Acts really is where God ignites the mission of the church. I mean, before I launched the church, before Heather and I had to, got, got approval or, or, or got to that place where we felt God was saying, go, a mentor of mine says, you need to go through the book of Acts and take serious notes, my friend. And I did. And the mission of the church is ignited in this book. And I'm so excited because we're going to walk through this. I don't know how long we'll be in this series. If you were here through Matthew, that was about a year and a half. I'm not in a hurry, right? I mean, what are we going to do if we get through teaching all the Bible? We're going to go back to the beginning, right? We're going to start over again. We'll do like Matthew 2.0. But um, <laughs> in case you missed something the first time we taught it, right? This, this journey is exciting because, man, all throughout history, you see God igniting passion and igniting mission in the lives of human beings so that his kingdom, his will gets accomplished. I mean, I don't think our mission should be any different than any other church. And to bring God glory through life change by the gospel is a mission of every church. One of the things that we, we filter that through is, does this help us make Jesus clear to our community? 
And does this help us love people? If it does those two things, giddy up, man. We are on board. If it doesn't do those two things, then let's just stay away from that. Those are easy filters. And, and honestly, it's not a difference between good ideas and bad ideas. It's a difference between good ideas and best. And what we want for the creek and what God wants for us is the best, not mediocrity and not to settle. So we're going to get into this. But Acts chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, go there. Acts chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, we have one on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own one, happy New Year, Merry Sunday, um, Merry Late Christmas. I didn't forget to get you something. It's under your chair. Um, you can also go to Version. Uh, which gets you a live event on New Version. It's a free Bible app put out by Life Church. Amazing, and uh, there's actually Kevin loads our notes in there, but the notes are already filled in, so don't be giving it away. Uh, Acts chapter one. I'm going to read a little bit, then we are going to discuss and really kind of dive into this. The first one is the messengers of the mission, verse one and two. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. So the messengers of the book, the messengers of the mission, really, because Acts really gets into the, the mission of the church, the mission of the redemptive work in humanity. And it, it, I believe that God works through order. God is a God of order. And so we tend to get into this idea that we want to read Scripture and automatically jump across a bridge and say, what does this mean to me? How does this affect me? What is God saying to me? And I think when we do that, we, we're a little premature in some, some ideas or conclusions we may jump to. There's actually a process a lot of theologians call the principalizing bridge. We need to look at Scripture first in its context. You see, Scripture was written for a specific audience. It was inspired and God-breathed. The Holy Spirit is the original messenger of Scripture, and he gave that word, it's inspired to man. They wrote based on their personality, who they are, but it is the word of God, the inerrant, infallible word of God. And so the message first comes from the Holy Spirit. In this particular case, it's the Holy Spirit to Luke. Luke is a doctor. He also wrote the gospel according to Luke or the gospel of Luke. One of the things that I love about doctors is how detailed they are. He says that when he starts, Luke, that I have investigated these things about Jesus. Doctors like to get to the detail. I had to go to the doctor this week. I don't know if you've noticed, my voice sounds like I've just hit puberty. But he's asking all these questions and, and everything. I'm not contagious. What's funny is when you say that, people still avoid you. you know? I'm really not. But um, he's asking all these questions. I'm like, you're getting into some sensitive territory, man. And then he starts asking about my diet. And I was like, hey, don't go there, Jack. This is Christmas time, right? This is the holiday season. We'll talk about that in February after I break the resolutions, you know what I mean? Um, and then we'll get back into it. But Luke uh, starts this, and he's, Luke is, the gospel of Luke is where Jesus began. And if you want to think of it, Acts is like volume two, where Jesus, the work of the, the Holy Spirit, continues. Does that make sense? So Act, Luke is where it begins. Acts is where it continues. And um, Luke says to Theophilus, uh, different theologians have a different idea on who Theophilus is. Um, in Greek, it's translated friend of God or lover of God. Um, some think that when he said in Luke, most excellent Theophilus, that it was probably a Roman dignitary or another believer that he's trying to give convincing proofs to. And then some theologians believe that it's a general term for those that love God. When you read this, we're going to be blessed by these words. But we have to understand something. 
this was originally written to an audience thousands of years ago. And there's a context for this in its writing. If you were to open up a time capsule and find something that I wrote in third grade, you're not going to understand what's going on. You don't know the context of what was going on in my life in the third grade. And so you need to do some history and digging and research to find out what Matt's life in third grade was like. You know, the note that you'd probably find wouldn't be anything extravagant. It'd probably be a note to a girl across the room, like, I like you, do you like me? Check yes or no. But, you know, you still need to say, well, Matt's a player. No, Matt wasn't a player, but you can deduce that. So you got to do your research, all right, when you study the Bible. So the messengers is the Holy Spirit to Luke, then Luke to the apostles. And the apostles were ordinary men. And went, ordinary men. They were not special. They weren't super educated. One thing I love, it says later in the book of Acts that when the apostles came into a town, this is what the town said. Oh, great. I'm, I'm going to translate this my way. Oh, great. Here comes those dudes that were with Jesus who turned the world upside down. They were normal people who God used to turn the world upside down. And then the message is us. So Holy Spirit, Luke, the apostles, then to us. And we need to understand that because when we read this, we're going to automatically start thinking there's things that, that we do now that have already been laid. The foundation has been laid. And so we get into this and understand who the messengers are. And then let's talk about the message of the mission, verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, the message about the mission is always the gospel. And the gospel is and has always been about Jesus. Not what we want to take a stand against. Now understand this. Don't, don't, don't let this just glaze by you. Too many times we think the message of Christianity is preaching against something. That, fill in the blank. I mean, it's preaching against homosexuality. It's preaching against debt. It's preaching against... Uh, the way that you lied to me in the, the meeting last week, it's preaching against sin. The message is and has always been Jesus, period. Our mission is to preach Jesus. When, when we get, and let me just, let me clarify this. I have opinions about sin, yes. And, and, and my sin, I hate my sin. But the only way that I'm going to overcome the sin in my life is not to try harder. You heard Trinity talk last week. It's Jesus. Period. We pursue him. He is the message. He is enough. The gospel is enough. And then Jesus says, says that Jesus revealed himself over a period of 40 days. If you're confused about what the gospel is, Paul gives a, a beautiful description in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, this is the gospel that you believed on. It's in your further reading. But it's that Jesus gave his life on the cross, was laid in a tomb, and resurrected on the third day. And then Paul says he revealed himself to people after the resurrection. He was walking around like, hey, it's me. And he gave many convincing proofs. Paul said he appeared to about 500 people. What Paul's saying is, hey, if you're like, go ask them. They saw Jesus. It's not a, an idea of, is Jesus historically correct? But Jesus gave many convincing proofs that that he is who he is, and his resurrection was complete. Here's what I've learned. It doesn't take convincing proofs to come sit in a chair. It takes convincing proof to live a life pursuing Jesus with everything you've got. It takes a convincing proof 
for a group of people to come in here and give up time on Saturday and set up a place and an environment for the church to inhabit, to be encouraged and then scatter. By the way, I believe the church's greatest strength isn't when she gathers, but when she scatters. It takes convincing proofs to go in and lead your family in a way that leads them into holiness and shows them who Jesus is. It takes convincing proofs to say, I'm going to filter my decisions on does this make Jesus more clear and does this help me love people? It takes convincing proofs to live that kind of life. And that's what Jesus gave us. One thing I love about the book of Acts is anytime something goes right, the apostles preach Jesus. Anytime something goes wrong, they preach Jesus. Anytime the miracle happens, they preach Jesus. Anytime the miracle doesn't happen, they preach Jesus. Anytime they are beaten, they preach Jesus. Anytime they are persecuted, they preach Jesus. When they are put in prison, they preach Jesus. What's the common theme through the book of Acts that the apostles did? They preached Jesus. That was the message. It was enough. We don't need to get into all this extraneous stuff in society. We need to preach Jesus. We need to, we need to be intelligent and educated on who Jesus really is. And then we need to follow him wholeheartedly. He gives us the convincing proofs. Well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Because Luke talks about the means of the mission, verse 4 and 5. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. I love that about Jesus. He's resurrected. I mean, he can be like, yeah, I'm fully God, man. I don't need food. But he's laying foundation for the church, right? Because the church, food, right? They just go hand in hand. But Jesus rolls up, he eats with them. I love that. He's like, you, you can eat, man. And we do. The creek eats, by the way. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised you, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of the names for Jesus is Emmanuel. It means God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us. And Jesus is saying there's going to be a transition where I'm with you no longer, and it's better for you that I go. Because when he comes, he's going to be in you. Now, I believe that the Holy Spirit provides everything needed for the mission. Everything we need for the mission. I'm not concerned about what, what property and what dirt looks like. I'm not concerned about what a building looks like because the Holy Spirit is everything we need to make that happen. I'm not concerned how we're going to make a transition from there because the Holy Spirit is everything we need for that to happen. By the way, the bricks and sticks aren't a church. It's flesh and blood. I don't care. We could meet in a tent for all I care. I just want to preach Jesus. And he's everything we need. Now, what happens when you uh, become a Christian or, or at that moment of conversion uh, is when you say, I believe, and that there's a true confession and belief in the gospel, the Holy Spirit moves in. Now, in my life, he has moved in, but I don't think he's done the process of, like, move that bus yet with extreme home makeover. I think he's working room by room. Because there's still a lot, man, that God's working with me on. There's still a lot of junk that we've got to get cleaned out. 
And so people ask this question, are you spirit-filled? I believe that this idea of baptizing the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled, are one and the same. I believe the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't a reward, but a gift. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit at conversion, and he seals us for the day of redemption. And then this idea that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5 when he says, be continually filled. Well, there, that means that the, the Holy Spirit's working in us, and he's saying, keep going back. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. Be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk a lot more about the idea of the Holy Spirit in the next coming weeks. So if you've got any weirdness, weird vibes about the Holy Spirit, go ahead and read ahead. And the Holy Spirit is not cousin it. He's not the freaky uncle. Y'all have those. You do. You've probably experienced them the last couple of weeks at Christmas dinner, right? If you don't know who the freaky uncle is, no, that's an old joke. I, my New Year's resolution is no corny jokes, but it's only January. <laughs> I get this question. How do you know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? I know that, that sometimes you see and you will see an act that the proof might be speaking in tongues. There might be all these things that you can look for. But here's the common theme that I see that you can see when someone who is full of the Holy Spirit, they talk about Jesus. So what about when the Holy Spirit empowers a believer? What happens? The Holy Spirit works through a believer to make the person and work of Jesus absolutely clear. The Holy Spirit's not going to make anybody look like a fool. The Holy Spirit is not going to do anything to make Jesus or the work of the cross confusing, period. And so the Holy Spirit provides everything needed for the mission. Let's talk about misunderstanding the mission, verse 6 and 7. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the, the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. There's a common belief um, in this time you know, Rome dominated most of the known world. And the belief of the Jews was when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would liberate the nation or the people of Israel and they would be free. Let me give you the Old Testament journey in a nutshell, very nutshell. You need to read the whole Old Testament, but here's it is in a nutshell. God has a set of people that he says, I will, I will work through you. I'll, you are my chosen people. And then they end up in a series of, of times of captivity, then they repent, turn to God, they become free, then they end up back in captivity. It's kind of like the girl who won't break up with a guy because her CDs is still in his truck. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, but I, can't, I just can't leave them. That's the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. I'm giving you a very small capsule. Read the whole Old Testament. But the nation of Israel finds themselves in favor with God going, oh, we got it, man, we're good to go. And then they find themselves in captivity. And they're like, oh, God, we're sorry. And then they become free, and then, oh, we got it. And then they're in captivity again. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. We do that too. But they think that, they ask Jesus, okay, since you're the Messiah and you've resurrected, are you going to now free us from the Roman rule? And Jesus is like, let me, let me help you understand something. Let me ask you this. If Jesus would have defeated Rome, would we be saved? No, because Rome's not the powerhouse right now. Kingdoms rise and fall. The only way we're saved is through the cross. You see, Jesus did. He took down an entire empire without firing a shot or swinging a sword. 
It was through grace. It was so we could also be saved. You see, the, the, the misunderstanding is the Jews wanted political power. And, and we see this. We want power. We, we're humans, okay? We desire power. We get this idea that, that change will happen when power comes. And we think that, that holiness might come through political votes. We think that our pursuit of holiness can, can be impacted by who's in the White House or who's in Congress or who's in the Senate or who's in the state government or who's in the city government. I'm not saying don't vote. You need to vote. You need to pray about voting. You have that right. But what I'm saying is don't hinge that on your holiness. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It's your responsibility in your house to pursue holiness. And whoever's in power politically, that they may, they may work some things, but it doesn't impact your holiness. The world has always been at enmity with the things of God. You will not squash Christianity. You can't legislate it out. You can't stomp it out. You can't murder it out. You can't persecute it out. It will not stop. It is because it is the work of God. It's, it, here's the danger. The moment our message becomes something other than Jesus, we only have a voice with the people who agree with us. I heard a seminary professor say this, if you want to grow a large church, figure out what you stand against and preach hard against it. And you will have a church full of people who hate the same thing and the same people you do. If our message becomes something other than Jesus, our voice gets limited to only those who agree with us. And that's not the mission. This, this takes a lot of humility in dying to self. And it gets us back to Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough to cut through political things, social things, relational things, financial things, personal things. The gospel is enough. Jesus is enough. Let's spend more time talking about him than all the things that we want to rail against. Because then we just find ourselves with people who think the same way we do. And we have no voice to the people who are hurting and broken and lost. Because they keep getting driven out there by the church. Railing against her message instead of the gospel. I'm passionate about that. I better keep going before I start spitting and waving a hanky and something like that. Verse 8. The method of the mission. How do we do it? This is one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How do you do it? It's not having a great facility. It's not having a great speaker. We've got a great facility, but, I mean, I, I've heard people say, I'm just a little weirded out by daycare. I'll be honest with you. The first time I walked in, I was like, if I smell a poopy diaper, I, I don't know if I can do this. I got a low gag reflex. It's not the facility. I'm not, a great, I'm not the greatest speaker. I know that. I'm, I'm good with that. I, I'm self-aware enough to know that. But I've got the greatest message ever told. 
We've got an amazing band. We have amazing musicians. But it's not that. We have these beautiful LED lights. It's not that. We have, we have a team that transforms a daycare center into what you see. That's not the method. Here's the method. It's spirit-empowered witnesses. Think about a courtroom. Um, in the courtroom, you have uh, the, the, the people, the defendant, the plaintiff. You have a judge. You have the bailiff. You have the attorneys. And then you have witnesses. We are called, as Christ followers, to be witnesses. We are not called to be attorneys to argue for the kingdom of heaven. We're not called to be judges to determine who's right and who's wrong. Because let me tell you something. You may win an argument, but the Holy Spirit doesn't promise to help you win that argument. The Holy Spirit's not going to empower you. and The Holy Spirit will be like, yeah, you got that. <laughs> you go ahead. I'll have to pick up the pieces after you break this person. You may win an argument, but you may lose a person. And losing a person means you lose a relationship. Losing a relationship means you lose a voice with someone who God has asked you to communicate the gospel to. You see where it's going? We're witnesses. We talk about what's happening. And we overcome by the word of our, by the word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb. I can't tell you all the things theologically about God, but I can tell you what he's done in my life. I can tell you that he died for me, that he rose for me, and he loves me, and his grace covers me. And I can tell you what he's done in this broken life. I can tell you what he's continuing to do of the things that I wrestled with and the sins that that so entangled me, he has freed me from. I can just tell you what he's done in my life. That's all we're called to do, not to argue or anything. And we start Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. For us, it might be Fort Worth. Or Fort Worth is broken down by neighborhoods. So Jerusalem might be your family. It might be your workplace. Or Judea might be across the street. I mean, we, we as a church have our fingerprints across the globe with the gospel. Because we partner with other churches. We partner with ministries. Do you know that part of your giving supported Kidstan, who's been in Nepal, Haiti, Africa, and lives were changed as a result of those trips? Our fingerprints are in Toronto, Canada with college students. In Brazil, your fingerprints are in Northbrook every Wednesday with, with students getting saved and hearing the gospel that God loves them. So God's calling you to be the missionary. Have those conversations. So what's the motivation? Verse 9, after, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So you've got the apostles doing this. You wonder, how long would they have stood there looking? I mean, you've got Jesus in front of you, right? I mean, how long would you stand there looking? I mean, you've tried to watch the balloon that flies up, you know, because your kid's screaming, and you're praying, God, please bring that balloon back. <laughs> how long would they stand there? Church, how long will we sit here? See, there's something interesting that happens when you see somebody staring into the sky. What do you want to do? What are you looking at? 
I don't know. Man, those guys were staring up. I'm trying to figure out what they were staring at. Hey, what are y'all staring at? I don't know. Everybody was staring up in the sky. I don't know. what. what and then you get down the line. Well, one time at this point, Jesus was standing here, and he went up there. I'm waiting for him to come back. Church, how long will we sit here? Because we get this idea that church is all about protecting us from the bad sinners and keep the bad people out of church because, man, I don't want their sin to jump on me. I've got enough to handle. And we sit and we isolate ourselves and go, Jesus, come back because this world is getting bad. I mean, look at, look, just, just look at the, na- the, the events in the world over the last year. It's enough to make anybody want to go crazy and going, how much worse is this going to get? Just wait and see. But we're not called as the church to protect ourselves and go sit in a safe house. Jesus is like, I'm not there. I'm out. The Holy Spirit is like, it's out. The mission of the church is always outward. It's never inward. When it becomes inward, we are going to get bitter. We're going to start fighting against each other. We're going to get spiritual bed sores. It's going to be a nasty, nasty situation. It's always out. The motivation is this. Jesus is coming back. What do we want him to come back to? Do we want him to say, hey, you left, and man, we've tried to preserve it. We've kept ourselves from all the bad stuff. Take us home. Or do we want to say, man, I engaged in your mission. I got dirty. You see, the goal of getting to heaven isn't to leave any potential on the table. It's to get there used up, man. God, I put it all on the table for you. I got nothing. And that's when we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you see, God gave the world a gift with Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And one day, Jesus will give us as a gift back to the Father. The motivation is we want him to have a beautiful gift to give his Father. Let me tell you how this story ends. Turn over in your Bible to Acts 29. Let me know when you get there. It's not there, is it? If you've got Acts 29 in your Bible, you bought it at a Bible outlet... Is that really, then could you say it's the infallible word? Never mind. I'm not. Acts 29 is still being written. The message was given to Luke and then to the apostles and then to us. And we continue to write the message. We continue to write the story of the gospel being taken into the world and the redemption of human, human life. And let me challenge you with this. Do you, do you, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe that Jesus died for you and that Jesus was resurrected for you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Maybe you've never believed it. Maybe there's something stirring and the Holy Spirit might be tapping on your shoulder going, hey, he did this for you. He did this for you. Let me ask you this. Has this gospel, this good news been ignited in your life? where it's like a fire in your bones. That it's not about all the things that you hate, but it's about Jesus whom you love. 
And do you make that your mission? To make Jesus clear and love people. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that that you have given us the greatest message that the world has ever known and will ever know. And that you've chosen to include us in the greatest mission that the world has ever known and will ever know. So I ask you right now, maybe in this moment, God, there may be some sitting in this room going, I, I, I don't have all the information about Jesus or about the gospel, but man, I believe he died for me. I believe he was resurrected and I believe he loves me. I, I just want to, Father, just pray that you give courage in the quietness of their soul right now for them to reach out to you and say, I don't understand all of this, but I believe this and I'm tired of trying to clean it up myself. Jesus, I give it to you. Come in to my life and you renovate me from the inside out. I pray, Father, that you send the Holy Spirit into their life to to seal them, but also to begin that process transformation and in that process of of remodeling life help them to be a witness to what you're doing in their life Father I pray for all of us that you just ignite the gospel in our life so that we become true witnesses to who you are and to what we've seen you do in our life Keep us from getting comfortable and seeking comfort to sit in a room and protect ourselves. But Father, give us the energy and the desire to step into the world, to walk with those who are hurting and broken and in the darkest moments of their life, put us in. Father, we're standing on the sidelines saying, put me in, coach, put me in. We ask that you give us the strength and the ability and the courage to step into the life with people who need life forgive us for being judgmental forgive us for being internally focused and selfish help us to think of the gospel help us to live the gospel help us to breathe the gospel and father help us to to speak the gospel we love you we thank you and it's only by your spirit that we can do this only by your power that we can do this. Father, we love you. We thank you and we pray all this in the name above all names, in the name of Jesus. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.